Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I just want to read, well before I read, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it starts off saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. Uh, but, uh, you know, the topic of, of the passage is about spiritual gifts, but the theme of the passage is about unity within spiritual gifts. And the reason for that is, you know, the Corinthian church, just like the church today, struggled with a lot of division. Lots of division, lots of, you know, uh, separation um, within that congregation. For instance, um, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people uh, that there are quarrels among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And we see that, you know, and, and Paul touches on this again in chapter 2 and again in chapter 4. There are these divisions in the church and all kinds of issues, you know, like food sacrifice to idols and, and, you know, marriage issues. And then in chapter 12, he says, you know, now concerning spiritual gifts. Seemingly spiritual gifts was also an issue that was causing divisions in the church in Corinth. Like it is today. You know, it's, one, it's probably one of the most divisive issues in the church today, if you look at the wider church, is, is the issue of spiritual gifts and how they're exercised. I mean, many churches would listen to what, you know, all the testimonies and the words that were given this morning, you know, and, you know, many people have never heard anything like that in church, in their church, many Christians, because in their church that is not supposed to happen. Now, God is not supposed to give you a dream of him rolling up his sleeve and fighting for you and then actually do that. <laughs> not anymore. That was supposed to happen in the time of the apostles, but it's not supposed to happen anymore. But guess what? As we've heard today over and over, it still happens. It still happens. It's happened in my life. It's happened in many of your lives. Um, we've heard testimonies today of how it happens. But um, Paul's concern here is that these spiritual gifts are causing division, causing disunity. And um, he, he starts off and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. And one of the big problems today is that there is so, so much ignorance concerning spiritual gifts. And, and, and here I want to say ignorance on both sides. Because on the one hand, you have guys who are so-called cessationists. They believe that the gifts have ceased with the death of the last apostle. Um, and a lot of that is ignorance. Ignorance, firstly, on concerning what the Bible says about it. Because the reality is the Bible does actually tell us the gifts will cease. But it also tells us when it will cease. When does it say will it cease? When that which is perfect has come. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says when, when perfection has come, then that which is imperfect, like prophecy and tongues and so on will pass away when I know perfectly as I am known when will I know perfectly as I am known when Jesus returns then prophecy and tongues and all those things will no longer be necessary so, so the gifts will cease but they have not yet ceased and they'll only cease when Jesus returns and when perfection has come and manifest um, so there's, there's ignorance on that side which leads to people being very hesitant to use gifts or to even, even to accept gifts or actually very skeptical about gifts. And on the one hand, I can understand it a bit because the reality is in the charismatic church, the gifts have been abused quite badly in, in many, at many times. So I can understand that some people are skeptical about it. But here's the problem. The cure for abuse is not disuse, but proper use. In Paul's time, there was also the abuse of the gifts. But Paul didn't say, well, clearly gifts are being abused, so now we're going to stop using the gifts altogether. That was not Paul's solution. In other words, the solution of the guys on this side, the cessationists who say we shouldn't use the gifts or there are no more gifts, is not Paul's solution. 
This, Paul had the same problem, but he didn't have the same solution. His, his solution wasn't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, stop using the gifts. His solution was just correct the abuse of the gifts. The solution to abuse is not disuse, but proper use. But on the, on the other side, also, on the charismatic side, there's also a lot of ignorance, which leads to the abuse of those gifts, which leads to gifts being used in the wrong way, in a, in a way that is not in line with Scripture and in line with the Bible. Um, and both of those forms of ignorance, Paul wants to address, and he wants to speak to us um, about it. So, on the one hand, there's the, the problem of what they should know, they, but they're ignorant of, and then they, there's also the problem of what they do know in, in verse... Um, actually, let me, let me first read the passage, <laughs> and then we can look at it. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See what I mean? You're going to think it was, was you know, it was um, coordinated. Jesus is Lord. That's what we sang. That's the word that came out. Verse 4 says, there, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So Paul starts off in, 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 in um, chapter 12, in verse 1, he says, Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. There are things that you're supposed to know. But then he also says, there are things that you do know. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And he's, and he's saying, you know, before you became Christians, when you were, were, uh, were pagans, you worshipped mute idols. You, you took part in, in uh, pagan services and... In those pagan services, there was also inspired speech. First, he, he mocks the, the mute idols a bit. He says, you know, I don't know if you can hear the mocking in his voice there, but he says, you know, you were led straight to mute idols however you were led, you know, because they mute. So I'm not sure how they got you to follow them because they can't speak to you. You know, they mute, they can't speak, and you know they mute. But somehow they got you to follow them, you know. So, so there's a bit of mocking in his voice there, you know, to, towards these mute idols. But... He does, he does actually, um, he's also hinting at how they were led astray to those mute idols. Because earlier in, 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 in the letter, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 19 and 20, he says, What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I, did not, um, I do not want you to be participants with demons. So what he's saying is these are mute idols. So it's not the idol speaking. It's not this image that you have carved out of gold or you know ivory or whatever you make your, your idol of. It's not that's not what was speaking to you and drawing you to the idol. It's the demons behind it. But you know that in these services there was inspired speech. Stuff like Jesus is accursed. Was said under under supernatural inspiration. But it wasn't the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's the thing. Now, this is very relevant to us because we, you know, the West has been very Christian in the sense of Christendom, you know, religious Christianity. But we've become, we're becoming more and more post-Christian and actually becoming more and more pagan. We're going back to a society that was very much like Paul's society where there are lots of mute idols, under Christendom, most of the people were, were so-called Christians, even if they were just Christians in name, nominal Christians who went to church, but you know, it didn't change their hearts and their lives. Um, but not anymore. Not anymore. People aren't, most people aren't in churches on a Sunday morning anymore, even in South Africa. Certainly in Europe and, and, uh, and places like that. You know? There are some places in Europe which used to be predominantly Christian where there are less than 1% Christians. In a country. And the, the, the culture not only has 
much of the culture rejected Christianity, but it's embraced paganism. People have become disillusioned. First, uh, you know, people rejected Christianity and religion because, you know, in favor of secularism. But now people have become disillusioned with secularism as well because, you know, God has placed eternity in our hearts. We have a need and a, and a, and a, a sense that there's something more than just the natural realm. And people want that spiritual input. I mean, people want meaning in life. And, and you know, Sigmund, no, it wasn't Sigmund Freud, it was, it was Nietzsche, you know, who famously said God is dead. He used to mock people who um, agreed with him that there was no God, but who still felt that there was some meaning in life. He used to mock them, he used to deride them, and, and really look down on them and said, how can you be so stupid? If there is no God, there's no meaning in life. If there's no God, there's no right and wrong, you know. At least if you want to say that there's no God and it's just, you know, the secular world, the material world, at least have the courage to face up to the implications of it. Because if there's no God who created you, what can the meaning in life be? There can be no meaning in life. You're just an accident waiting to unhappen. Why do you complain about the injustice in the world? There's nothing wrong with it. Injustice assumes that there is a right and a wrong. But if there's no God to tell you what's right and wrong, who are you to decide what's right and wrong? Why isn't what Hitler decided to do, you know, to the, to the Jews, why isn't that right? You know, if there's no higher, you know, judge to tell you what's right and wrong, you know? Who are you to say that, you know, what was done under apartheid was wrong? If there's no God to tell you to set a standard of right and wrong. And he said, you've got to face up to it, you know. If you want to agree with me that there's no God, you've got to face the fact that there's no meaning in life, there's no right and wrong, and you can't complain about anything. So people have realized that and said, no, you know, that's too harsh, you know. Um, I, I want some meaning. So I, I, I want to be spiritual but not religious. And I have the spiritual need inside of me. And people are turning in mass to paganism and, and, and books like Harry Potter and, you know, the, the occultic uh, things that, that kids are introduced to in it, you know, magic and so on, you know, really drawing kids in, you know, okay, there is actually more, you know, there's this spiritual power, you know, that I can have. And so what the Corinthian church that Paul is writing to, what they experienced in the pagan temples, which was very supernatural. There was a lot of supernatural manifestation. There was a lot of prophecy. There were a lot of so-called miracles happening. And, and you can go look in the, in the history. There was. I mean, there was this one. I can't remember the temple's name. Um, but in Corinth, there was this temple of um, this deity. Asclepius, I think his name was. Um, and... What, what, he was supposed to be this deity of healing. And, and, and the guys would come into the temple and they'd bring different body parts. You know, whatever, you know, like an image of a body part. So if your foot was sore, you'd bring a, like an image of a foot and you'd put it you know, as an offering in the temple. And then you'd sleep in the temple and then you know, guys would get healed. Obviously demonically healed. Interesting, you know, when Paul, Paul talks about the body and the different parts of the body are one. You know, there's a temple just around the corner where there are all kinds of different body parts lying around loose. <laughs> okay, you, you're getting it in context, you know. There's a lot, you know, that... that anyway, um, my point is there was genuine supernatural things happening there. I mean, now it's on TV as well. You know, there are these, these stories about these spiritists, you know, you know, beyond and what I kind of... And, and, and these guys give genuine supernatural knowledge you know, have genuine supernatural insight into people's lives. And the people are like all shocked, you know. You know only my grandpa knew that about me. And he died, out, he died about 15 years ago. How did you know that? No, it's your grandpa. You know, I'm channeling him, you know. Uh, and, and there are all kinds of tricks that the devil uses, um, which are genuinely supernatural tricks. He doesn't know the future, but he has, he has tricks to make things look supernatural. And people are like, wow, you know, this is supernatural. This is so cool. So what, what Paul is addressing here, a lot of people today are experiencing that, exactly as the Corinthian church experienced that. And, and, and that's a bit of a challenge to us as charismatics because there's a tendency in the charismatic church to, to um, 
to just glorify the supernatural per se. But just the supernatural by itself doesn't guarantee that it's of God. And we shouldn't go chasing after the supernatural. I mean, people who are in Satanism and witchcraft are also chasing after the supernatural. If we only chase after the supernatural per se, what makes us different from them? And I think that's a big warning to, to us as, as, as renewal churches, not to just chase after the supernatural per se. And what Paul shows is that it's not just the supernatural that guarantees the presence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's a specific kind of supernatural. And one of it is the supernatural which glorifies Jesus. Um, so I just want to show how Paul addresses this issue of divisions in the Corinthian church around this issue of, um, of spiritual gifts. And I'm going to, just under three headings, look at uh, the purpose of um, our unity, the common good, the nature of our unity, uh, and then the basis of our unity. So the purpose, the nature, and the basis of our, of our unity. And I'm sort of going to go in reverse order through these verses. I'm going to start with verse 7 where it says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit... There's something that we need to get, and this is something that um, you know, we experienced this morning and that we as renewal Christians know, that when the Holy Spirit is working in and among people, there's, it, 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 it's something that you can see. It's observable. It's experiential. It's a manifestation. It's not theoretical. The presence of the Holy Spirit in us and among us is not theoretical. It's not something you have to assume. It's a manifestation that you can see and experience. For charismatics, you guys are very quiet. There should have been a loud amen there, you know. <laughs> Preach it, Henny. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I could have gotten the same reaction from a Presbyterian church. <laughs> um, there's a, a very brilliant scholar, one of my heroes, um, probably my favorite theologian, is a guy called Gordon Fee. He's a Pentecostal um, theologian, and he wrote probably the best commentary on... Um, the book of First Corinthians is recognized, you know, even by people who are not charismatics, Pentecostals and charismatics, as, as the best commentary. Um, and he says, Pauline Christianity was experiential. It was all about an experience of the Holy Spirit. It was all about an experience of the Holy Spirit. There was no such thing as a non-experiential Christianity. You know, in, nowadays, you know, we, we say... If you think you're a Christian, you can assume you have the Spirit. Paul said, if you know you have the Spirit, you can assume you're a Christian. Can you see the difference? It's exactly the converse. Paul said, if you know by manifestation, by experience, that you have the Spirit, then you can assume you're a Christian. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't prove you have the Spirit. Having the Spirit proves you're a Christian. It's very different. It's very different. And, and if Paul walked into many churches, modern-day Christian churches, he would not, according to Gordon Fee, recognize the kind of Christianity that's going on there. Because the Christianity that happened in his churches was a deeply experiential Christianity, an experience of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a theoretical Christianity. Manifestation of the Spirit. But here comes the surprise. Here comes the surprise. It says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. It doesn't say to some or even to most. It says to each. And I checked the Greek. The Greek word is each. Ekastos. <laughs> each one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, the manifestation of the Spirit is not something, something that happens now and then to certain people in the Christian church. According to Paul, that manifestation of the Spirit, that experience of the Spirit is given to each one. To each one. Here's the problem, though, and I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that um, a bit later. We as charismatics, 
Um, well, let's, let's, let's look at the two extremes again, the, the cessationists and the charismatics. You know, and on the one hand, the cessationists say, no, no, there are no manifestations. Anything you know, that looks like a manifestation, you're misinterpreting it, you know, and, and that gets sort of suppressed or discouraged. On the other hand, now, you must just say, you know, not all cessationists are hard cessationists. There are some cessationists that say, you know, that miracles and healing and so on still happen, but we're just very careful of it. On the other hand, you have charismatics that stereotype the manifestation of the Spirit. And, and, and here, let us have Paul speak to us, you know, and correct us and say, the manifestation of the Spirit, let's not stereotype it. Let's not focus, because we tend to, in the broader charismatic church, there tends to be a focus on the spectacular. And only if it's spectacular can it be of the Spirit. And Paul says that's nonsense. He says there's a lot of what the Spirit does which is not spectacular, which is very, I mean, God is the master of the understatement. Often he'll do very powerful things, but in such a way that if you don't look carefully, you'll almost not notice it. That is the God we serve. He's not this, you know, televangelist God who wants to, you know, smoke and lights and all kinds of spectacular stuff. And he doesn't have to market himself and, you know, promote himself. He's God, you know. So he, um, often he does things in very unassuming ways, very subtle ways, you know, not, that are not very spectacular. But then often because we only recognize the spectacular as inspired by the Spirit, when that less spectacular things, when the Holy Spirit inspires less spectacular things through people's lives, we disregard and we say, no, that's not really empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we stereotype the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Someone serving in a, in a, in a natural way, we don't see that as empowered by the Spirit. Even though when the, the seven guys in Acts chapter 6 were um, chosen to serve at the tables, it said they had to be full of the Holy Spirit. To serve at tables. Oh, no, no, t- serving at tables, you cannot, you know, you don't need to be spiritual to do that, you know. And, and s- serving, you know, doesn't prove, you know, that cannot be inspired by the Spirit. Nonsense. Not according to Paul, not according to the New Testament. So often, you know, each one is empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we look at how pe- different people are in- empowered, and we don't see it because we're only looking for the spectacular, and we miss the less spectacular manifestations of the Spirit. And we are wrong to do that, and Paul wants to correct us. Okay? Um, then, it doesn't only say that to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. It says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And here comes the unity thing. We, there's, there's a unity of purpose of what, the purpose of what the Spirit does. The purpose of what the Spirit inspires. And the, the, the unity is that it's for the, for the common good. When the Spirit inspires us, the Spirit inspires us to be like Him. The Spirit impi- inspires us to be like Jesus. The Spirit inspires us to be like the Father. And the Father is very generous and he's very giving, and he's selfless and sacrificial in his giving, and the cross proves that. There is no one as self-sacrificing in his giving than God, and the cross of Jesus Christ proves that, where Jesus hung there, even though he was completely innocent. And when the Spirit inspires us, he inspires us to be like that. He inspires us, he empowers us, and he gives us gifts, not for our good, but for other people's good. For the common good. Have you ever seen a tree eating its own fruit? No tree eats its own fruit. God gifted you with other people in mind. Hello? God gifted you with other people in mind. And the only way to live out that gifting is to have the same to, to grow in the same selfless giving, self-sacrificial even giving and serving that Jesus demonstrated while he was on earth and, and, and that is so part of God's heart. So that is the, the unity of purpose of the Spirit's empowerment and manifestation is it's the common good. 
everything that God does, He does simultaneously for His glory, for His greatest glory and for our greatest good. All grace that God gives, God gives for His greatest glory and our greatest good. In other words, when, when God, the Holy Spirit, empowers me and gifts me in a certain way, it's not to make me look good. It's not so that I can say, you know, <laughs> look at me, you know, I'm the man. <laughs> I have the spectacular gifts. It's not for that at all. That is totally contrary to the, to the Spirit. Totally contrary to the Spirit. And yet, there is so much of it in the church. And, and I must be honest, and, and I'm sure for you it's the same. You know, that kind of grandstanding and posturing and look at me, you know, I'm the man, it really leaves a bad taste in my mouth, and I'm sure it does for you too. And, and you know, in, in some sense, you know, I can, you know, it's no wonder, you know, many people are negative towards the gifts, you know, if, you know, when the gifts have been practiced, they've been practiced in that, with that attitude. No, no, it's for the common good. It's, it's, it's not for me, it's, it's for me to serve. It's not for me to look good, it's for me to serve. So, unity in purpose. But then also, the nature of our unity. So, the purpose of our unity is for the common good. The nature of our, uh, of, of our unity um, it says in, in verse 4 to 6, let me just read that. And listen carefully. Um, I like what Danny said about repetition. You know, if you want to read the Bible intelligently, look for repetition. Okay? So, so look, look at the repetition here. It says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And there's the everyone again. This empowerment is for everyone. Okay? Do you notice the, the repetition? Especially two words. Varieties and same. Varieties of giftings, um, services, empowering, but the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. Notice the Trinity there. This is probably the very first letter or Christian document, inspired Christian document, in which the Trinity is mentioned in that form. Spirit, Lord, God. Um, Paul often uses the designation God to refer to God the Father, uh, the designation, uh, which is equivalent to the Hebrew Elohim, the Old Testament word for God. The, 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 the Greek word kurios um, he uses for Jesus, which is, the, which is used in the Septuagint as the translation of Yahweh. Okay? And then the Spirit. Like, for instance, in 2 Corinthians at the end, he says, May the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, the love of God, by implication the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. But yeah, he mentions the Trinity. Why does he mention the Trinity? Because he says the very nature of our unity is designed to reflect the Trinity. Now, what, what is the Trinity? Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God. One God. Three persons, one God. In other words, the Trinity is a diversity in unity. A diversity of three persons in a unity of one God. In other words, the, the, the Trinity, inherently who God is, He is a diversity in unity. And that's why the church, in order to reflect who God is, must be a diversity in unity. And that's why Paul goes on and he's saying, one of the big problems that he addresses is, I mean, on the one hand, on the one extreme, it addresses division, like I read to you in, in, in you know, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, you know, let there not be divisions among you. But on the other hand, the other extreme, he addresses the problem of uniformity. Now, what is uniformity? Uniformity is unity without diversity. Uniformity is unity without diversity. And he's saying, you guys are suppressing the diversity in the body. And by that, you are limiting the body, the church's ability to reflect God's nature. Because God is a diversity in unity. When you require everyone to have the same gift, you are suppressing and undermining the diversity of the body. And therefore, you are undermining the image of God in His church. And he says, you need to stop doing that. 
Because there were, there were people who were saying, you know, certain gifts are more important and everyone must have this certain gift. Guess what that certain gift was? <laughs> Speaking in tongues. Does that sound familiar to you? Oops. <laughs> certain gifts are more important. Everyone must have it. He says, when you demand that everyone have the same gift, you are undermining the diversity of the body. You are undermining the image of the Trinity in the church. Also, there's another, you know, that's one way to undermine um, the diversity is to say that everyone must have the same gifts like the guys in Corinth were doing. Another way to undermine the diversity of the body is to say that everyone must have all the gifts. Have you heard that recently? That's becoming quite popular in the charismatic church to say that, no, actually everyone can have all the gifts. That's exactly contrary to this whole chapter. <laughs> you can read the rest of the chapter. What Paul writes in this whole chapter, he says, no, the body was designed so that everyone does not have the same gifts. So that together, as a body, some hand, some foot, you know, some heart, some kidney, different, not the same, working together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, can then reflect the diversity of God in the unity of the Spirit. That's what made this morning so powerful. I mean, the, the songs that went in them chose that lined up so perfectly with, with the words and with the sermon, without knowing it. Under the, it's when the Holy Spirit take, takes together all of us who are so different and who have different gifting and make us work together as one body. That glorifies Him doesn't glorify him that we're all the same. You know, so this teaching um, that, that is, like I say, very popular in charismatic circles nowadays, that everyone can have all the gifts, that actually undermines the diversity of the body. God designed us so that, not, so that everyone will not have all the gifts, so that we will need one another. Otherwise, you know, if you go and read later on, you know, you know, uh, Paul says, you know, the foot cannot say because I'm not the hand, I don't, I don't want to be part of the body. I, I, or, or you cannot say I don't need the, you know, the, the, the head cannot say I don't need the foot. But if everyone had all the gifts, then the head can say, no, I don't need the foot because I already have everything the foot has. Can you see how this undermines the diversity of the body? God designed us so that we will need each other in the body. So on the one hand, it's very clear that each one has the manifestation of the Spirit. Each one has some gift. But also, each one doesn't have all the gifts. Each one doesn't have all the gifts. So that we'll need each other. But the main reason is so that we can display, put on display to the world, the beautiful diversity of the Trinity in unity. By being a diversity in unity ourselves as the body of Christ. And here I just want to say, you know, some of you, you look down on yourselves because other people have looked down on you and say, well, you don't have gifts because your gifts that you have are not spectacular. Maybe you don't even know what gifts you have. Or you have gifts and you sort of feel bad for them. It's like, I'm not going to hide my gift because, you know, it's not as spectacular as so-and-so's gift. Don't hide your gift. God doesn't look at your gift the way that other Christians look at your gift. Maybe other Christians have looked down on your gift. Forgive them. And move on. Your gift was, is a gift. It's, it's precious. It was given to you by God, whether it's spectacular or not. Don't despise your gifting because other people have despised it. And some of you need healing because your gifting has been despised and undervalued. And you need healing not only in terms of you know, your confidence to take part in the life of the body, but you need healing in your identity because you look down on yourself. You feel inferior because you feel like your gifting is inferior. In the first place, separate your, your, your identity from your gifting. What you do doesn't determine who you are. Whose you are determines who, who you are. <laughs> what you do doesn't determine who you are. So separate your identity from your gifting. You know, it's never good to connect your your, your, your identity to what you do, to your performance or your gifting. But don't, don't despise or undervalue your gifting because other people have. Um, 
So the, the, the purpose of our unity is for the common good. The, the nature of our unity is it's Trinitarian. It's a diversity in unity. It's a diverse unity. It's not division on the one hand, but it's also not uniformity, unity without diversity. You know, so often um, church leaders have, in ignorance and just in bad leadership, imposed uniformity in the name of unity. And said stuff like, you know, every nail that stands out gets hammered. <laughs> well, guess what? If you do that, you're not going to create unity. You're only going to create uniformity. And you're going to do the very thing that Paul is fighting against in this chapter. Other problem is, you know, if, the, if all you have is a hammer, eventually everything starts looking like a nail. You know, like a hammer, 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 you know. <laughs> we cannot afford to just have one tool, one gifting. One size fits all. There's a beautiful diversity that God himself has created in our midst for his glory to reflect who he is. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just tolerate that. We should celebrate that. We shouldn't just tolerate diversity. We should celebrate the diversity of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And let's start doing it. Let's start celebrating one another. Let's start really appreciating and celebrating the people who are different from us. Who are different from us. You know, um, for instance, this weekend we, we had our legacy course and... You know, you, you might be someone who's, um, you know, very big on, say, deliverance from, you know, demonic oppression, you know. And, and you don't, you know, you just want to take on demons and say, them, in the name of Jesus, go, you know. And you love that kind of thing, you know, when, when the devil's running scared. And that's good. That's good. But, you know, legacy is all about inner healing. And you might say, oh, I don't have the patience, you know, to sit with people and listen to their story and pray for them and, you know, walk a long road with them. I just, you know, I'm not wired that way. I like, you know, I, I'm, I'm more... You know, confrontational, you know, and that kind of thing. But, you know, appreciate the guys, you know. Um, Alex and, and Shana and Rochelle, you know, and a lot of other guys were working very hard, you know, to create, you know, last Sunday and, and this weekend, you know, an a environment, you know, where healing can take place. And, and uh, are there any of the facilitators who facilitated legacy here yeah, or were involved in legacy? And I just want to honor those guys, you know. They gave hours, the whole of... Friday from, you know, half past, what was it, was it six o'clock or something, until, you know, almost ten o'clock, some of them, uh, and then again Saturday morning from, you know, before eight until after five. They gave that time to sit with brothers and sisters and minister to them, minister healing to them, inner healing to them, minister um, restoration to them. And even if you, the guy who, you know, you love, you know, driving out demons and, 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 you know, that kind of thing, appreciate the guys who are more pastoral, like the guys who, who help facilitate. Celebrate that. Honor them. And they must honor you as well, because your gifting is also important and precious and necessary for the good health of the body. Let's celebrate one another. Let's celebrate the diversity of what God has created. Now, that, that's just an example. There are many other examples um, as well. Okay, so... Um, the purpose of our unity, the common good, the nature of our unity, that it's a diversity, in un a diverse unity. And then the basis of our unity. Like I said, in, in verse um, 2 and 3, uh, Paul says, Now you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led, you know, mocking them a bit. And then he says, Therefore, I want you to understand. And, I was, and he gives you a test for when is the supernatural actually legitimate? When is the supernatural actually legitimate? Not all supernatural is legitimate. Not all spectacular supernatural manifestations are legitimate. So he gives, he says, therefore, because there is that illegitimate, you know, demonic form of the supernatural, therefore, um, he says, I want you to understand, and, and actually, let me Literally, he says, I want to inform you. He says in verse 1, I don't, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then in verse 3, he says, because of, of this problem of the illegitimate supernatural, I want to inform you. So he's, he's linking that. And he says, what do I want to inform you of? That no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 
just two things in there that make, that is uniquely Christian, that makes the supernatural, a supernatural manifestation uniquely Christian, like a supernatural utterance, you know, like a prophetic utterance. The one thing is, it says, it's um, by the Holy Spirit. No one can say Jesus is Lord except to speak by the Holy Spirit. I remember hearing a story once about a, a lady who was a spiritist. Now, you know what a spiritist is? It's someone who channels, supposedly, you know, ancestors or... But what they're actually doing is they, they're channeling demons who know, who knew those people who are already dead, you know. So, so they're not really channeling the dead. They're channeling people who... Who, or, or demons who are imitating the dead. Um, and we know this because the, there's one example of, that I actually know of where there was an actual ancestor that a spiritist call, called up, and that was the, the witch of Endor. Have you ever read that in the, in the, in the Old Testament? There's a story about uh, King Saul, you know, he's really lost the plot, and he comes to this witch of Endor, and says, which is a, who was a spiritist, and say, you know, call up uh, Samuel the prophet for me. And then she does. But look at her reaction. You know, Samuel actually comes and he rebukes Saul. But what's her reaction? She's surprised. In other words, what just happened, she totally did not expect. She didn't actually expect Samuel to show up because that's not usually what happens. Usually a demon shows up that imitates some dead person. But now Samuel really shows up and she's like completely thrown. She didn't expect that because this never happens. God just allowed it to happen so that Samuel could actually rebuke Saul for his occult practices, you know, and, and tell him, listen, the kingdom's taken away from you. So God allowed, God supernaturally allowed that exception, but that's the point. It's an exception. Usually it's not and the dead that act, the actual dead that, that come up. But, but this lady was a spiritist, and, and she was used, obviously, you know, to channeling spirits. You know, the demon comes into her, possesses her, speaks through her, sometimes even in the voice, imitating the dead person. Freaky. I mean, this stuff on TV, you know, um, if you don't know about it, you can go and check on YouTube. This happens often. People get exposed to this kind of supernatural, demonic supernatural the whole time. So she, she, she was the spiritist, and, the, and she was part of a spiritist church, you know, where they do this, where they regularly channel, you know, demonic forces, you know, and, 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 you know, do all kinds of supernatural stuff, you know, even seeming miracles and so on. And then one day she went to church, you know, I, don't, I can't remember the, the backstory of why she went to church. And she actually got saved. And she said, she got, and then when they asked her, why do you get saved? You know, she said, you know, it, it wasn't the supernatural that I saw because, I mean, I see supernatural in my spiritist church as well all the time. You know, it's, the supernatural is nothing new to me. I'm used to spirits, and I'm very intimately involved in spirits. You know, they possess me. You know, they take over my body and speak through me. But I've never encountered such a holy spirit. I've never encountered a spirit that is holy like the spirit that is working amongst you. The spirits that I channel are not holy spirits. I know that. <laughs> I see the fruit in my life. I see the fruit in other people's life. There's no holiness there. These are evil spirits. I know they're evil. I've experienced them. I've intimate experience of them. But this spirit that I'm experiencing here in your church is a holy spirit. See, it's one of the things that makes the Christian supernatural experience unique is that it's, it leads to holiness because it's by the Holy Spirit. The other thing is it glorifies Jesus. No one speaking by the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is accursed. And if you, you can only say Jesus is Lord by the Holy Spirit. And I see a bit of irony in what Paul says there, and that's why I say it's the basis of our unity. The irony is this. Obviously, you know, if you know, a demon spirit says through someone that Jesus is accursed, that's a, a lie, and it's, it's a blasphemous lie. But the irony is that blasphemous lie is very close to the truth. Don't worry, I'm not going to blaspheme. <laughs> you, know, you guys know me. I, I love being scriptural, you know, and I demand that we be scriptural. But didn't Paul himself write in the book of Galatians, a letter that he wrote a few years before 1 Corinthians, that Jesus became a curse for us so that we can be blessed and receive the blessing of Abraham. 
See, the irony is Jesus is not cursed. That is a lie. When, when, but Jesus was cursed. In fact, Jesus became a curse. Jesus took upon him the very curse we deserved. And I think that's why Paul quotes this, this lie. Because there's a bit of irony in that. You know, Jesus was cursed for us. The curse that we deserve, the curse of the law that was supposed to come upon us because of our disobedience came upon Jesus and Jesus became a curse because it says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree, was crucified naked in public, shamed, and the curse came upon him, the curse that we deserved so that we could be made one in Christ and say, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus had to become a curse for us in our place so that we could eventually say, Jesus is Lord. Do you see the irony in that? And do you see how that, who Jesus is, what he did on the cross, and how he gives us his spirit, how that is the basis of our unity? If we, if the curse of, of, of God, the curse of the law had remained on us, if Jesus had not taken it from us and taken it upon himself, he would never have been able to give his Holy Spirit to us. And we would never have been able to say, Jesus is Lord. Never. We would not have been able to say it. But because Jesus took that curse upon us, we can now bless Jesus and say, Jesus is not cursed. He is blessed. But on the cross, he became a curse for me so that I can be blessed. And now I can say, Jesus is Lord. Not only can I say, Jesus is Lord, but we can together as one in unity say, Jesus is Lord. Just as we said at the beginning of the service. Just as we sang at the beginning of the service. So, you know... Because God is a diversity in unity, a trinity, he forms the church into a diverse unity that reflects him. And all of that is based on who Jesus is and what he did. The one confession that Jesus is Lord. Now, I, want, I really think the Holy Spirit has brought us over the last months and years to a place where... He wants us to experience the manifestation of the Spirit to a next level. Any of you sort of have a spirit witness of that? you agree with that? But we want to do it. He wants us to do it in line with Scripture. Based on that unit, unified confession, Jesus is Lord. In reflection of the diverse unity in the Trinity. In line with the Word of God. Not falling for abuse. So on the one hand, we have to say that, you know, the solution for abuse is not disuse, but proper use. You know, we have to say that to, to people who reject the gifts, you know, cessationists. But on the other hand, we have to say to charismaniacs, you know, who don't, who don't honor Scripture, you know, who are big on the Spirit, supposedly, but, but small on Scripture. We have to say, but The solution to disuse is not abuse, but proper use. <laughs> right? Just because there are certain people who are disusing the gifts doesn't excuse, give us an excuse to abuse the gifts. The, the solution for disuse of the cessationists is not a, the abuse of the charismaniacs. We, we've got to be biblical and say proper use of the, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the common good. Do you experience the manifestation of the Spirit? The Spirit wants to manifest Himself through you. Not for you, but through you, for the other people in the body. The other people in the body need your gifting. The rest of us as the body need your gifting. And I think this morning the Holy Spirit wants many of us to discover our gifting... Many of us to realize that something that we thought was not spectacular enough to be a gifting is actually our gifting. And really appreciate our gifting and start actively using it. Did you notice when, when it uh, you know, spoke about the Trinity, it says there are many gifts. Variety of gifts, but the 
same spirit. The word therefore gives is charismata, which literally means grace gift. In other words, what is a gift? Is it something you earn? It's not something you earn. It's something you receive for free. That per definition. And, and the word charismata from charis, which means uh, grace, it's a grace gift emphasizing that it's a free gift. You did not earn it. In fact, you cannot earn it. You cannot earn it. So don't sit there and say to yourself, oh, I'm not good enough, you know, to flow in the gifts. There's no such thing as good enough to flow in the gifts. If you have the Holy Spirit, even if you're still a very flawed Christian that's growing in sanctification, a gift is a gift. It's not a performance. You have it by grace. You're either using it well or you're not using it well or you're disusing it. But you have it because it's a gift. And it's a gift to each one. And then it says there are varieties of service. But the same Lord. How do you discover your gift? By serving. Because the gifts, the purpose of the gift is for the common good. To serve the common good. How do you discover your gift? By serving. And there are many of you sitting here, you know, um, and, and you want to come to church for what I can receive. And, you know, you know I don't want to the inconvenience and to make the time to serve. Well, if you do that, you'll never really get to know your gift and understand your gift and be able to use your gift properly. You want to learn to, to, to flow in your gift more powerfully and more effectively? Serve. Because when you're serving, you're portraying the heart of Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you and He has more room to flow through you because you're serving other people. You're lining yourself up with the purpose of the giftings. And said so there are a variety of activities you know, the, the outflow of this gifting, but the, one, but the one God who empowers them all in all. So, I just want to encourage you, you know, if you don't know what your giftings are, and if you're not flowing in your giftings, now is the time. The Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is encouraging us as His church and saying, you better be ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I want to flow through you. I want to use you for the common good. I want to use you to serve others. I want to use you to change the world. I want to use you to make other people say, Jesus is Lord. I want to put myself, my beautiful diversity and unity on display through you, all of you, each and every one of you in the church. And if you're not experiencing that yet, now is the time for it. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.